Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Vegas 54, headlined by Jan Blakovic versus Alexander Rechich. Of course, those of you who frequent the show know we won't be breaking down that fight or any of the other fights on this main card, because this year... This is the prelim primer, where we only break down the prelim portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and wondering to yourselves, why just the prelim portion of the card? Why not break down Rechich and Blankovic or Ryan Spann versus Ian Kudalaba? The answer is really simple. The answer is, we know you know who those guys are. We know you know who Amanda Hibas is, or Caitlin Chokagian, or Davey Grant. But there are probably a lot of names on these prelims that you're not familiar with, and for that, we know you need a breakdown, whether you're play a daily fantasy sports or you're gambling or you just want to win a pick'em contest you got to know these people on the early portion of the card we're here to help now before i get to who we are breaking down these fights i do want to let you know that this episode of the prelim primer is brought to you by maroon social m-a-r-u-n-e maroon social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast whether you do kickboxing judo or sambo jiu-jitsu any martial art you can use maroon social to log your training sessions and do so much more I'm going to tell you a little bit more about all of the great features of Maroon Social once we get to our first commercial break. But before we do that, we're going to break down some fights. And joining me today to break down those fights, he is the combat sports editor of Clutch Points app. I, of course, am talking about Lucas Grandsire. Lucas, thanks so much for joining me, man. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me, breaking down the prelims, because apparently nobody else wants to do it. So somebody has to do the good work. (laughs) That's right. I'm always here to do the good work. And to do that good work, we got to start by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Vivian Arruyo versus Andrea Lee. So Arruyo had a two-fight winning streak. It got snapped by a decision loss to Caitlin Chokigian. That fight was all the way back in May of 2021. So she's been out for almost a year. Angela Lee, meanwhile, has put together a nice little win streak. She's won two in a row over Valentina Shevchenko and Cynthia Calvillo, both of which were finishes, the latter of which happened back in November. So my question for you is, in those two fights, Andrea Lee has kind of required or relied, rather, on her physicality quite a bit. A couple of takedowns, but does a really good job in the clinch of kind of bullying people and holding them up against the cage and a little bit of dirty boxing. Arroyo, though, has great takedown defense. She's actually stuffed quite a few people with her takedown defense. So does Lee still go that physicality route here, or do you think she's got to do something else to try to win this fight? I mean, you would imagine when you're on a winning streak, they would try to stick with what works. But in my opinion, if she does what she thinks works, it's not going to work in this fight. I know it's a little bit confusing the way I worded it, but the win streak, you hear Shevchenko, and you think, oh, and then you say Antonina, and the oh, oh. So... Calvillo, for me, very impressive win, uh, but for this one, I feel like you just have to go with uh, Arruyo. I mean, that one, for me, feels a little bit safer. Like you mentioned, the physicality to kind of shut that down, and no shame in losing a decision to Chukagian. Everyone does it. It happens to all the flyweights, so like you mentioned, man, that physicality is a big thing, and she's very well-rounded, so I feel like you have to lean the Brazilian on this one. And and I totally agree with you, too, about it, and I don't think it was, it was hard words to follow, but I, I agree with you that Andrea Lee... It's working for us. So why would she change what's working? And, and the answer is, is that I don't think it's going to continue working. And it, it do, I don't feel like it will work against a lot of those top women in the division, right? Like she's not going to go in there and bully Jessica Andrade, or she's not going to go in there and bully. I mean, maybe Kate with Chokagian, who's who's that sometimes can be bullied a little bit, but a lot of those women towards the top part of the division, the Lauren Murphys, for instance, 
are really hard to do that to. And, and Arroyo might be one of the hardest ones to use that kind of like, you know, physical battle strategy here. So, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. If she goes in with that mentality, and I totally expect her to, I don't think it's going to go well for her. So I, I'm also going to take the Brazilian Arroyo. I'll take her by decision. Do you think she gets a uh, finish, or do you think this one's going to the cards? That's a tough one, but I feel like for this one, you just the safest pick always is going to the cards. All right, and that brings us to a very weird fight, which is Michael Johnson versus Alan Patrick. Johnson has lost four in a row. Uh, most recent of those losses was to Clay Guida back in February of 2021. So we have been 15 months without seeing him. We've been almost three years since he's won a fight. Uh, Patrick, meanwhile, has lost two in a row. Uh, well, I guess lost two in a row and then got a no contest due to eye poke and a fight he was also getting blasted in. And that fight was all the way in June of last year, so he's been away for almost a year. We've got two guys who are absolutely on the worst skids of their life, probably on the tail end of their UFC careers. Which of these two guys do you see has anything left in the tank or at least enough left in the tank to get the other one out of there? Well, we know how it works with Michael Johnson. Super fast, great hands. I'm going to beat you up for all three rounds. And then for the last minute, you're going to pull some kind of Hail Mary and he's going to go for it. I mean, it's it's crazy seeing the way his career changed after that weird split decision loss to Benil Dariush. Uh, for this one, I mean, when you look at it, it seems like uh, Michael Johnson is struggling a little bit with grapplers. Obviously, Josh Emmett, I believe he was winning that fight. And then we know about Emmett's power. It just seems to me like Patrick, he's going to want to keep it on the feet. And I just think that favors Michael Johnson. Great speed. And I I feel like he still has some left in the tank. It's just that fight IQ is really the big question mark. But in a fight like this, I feel like you have to go with the veteran on this one. You know what? I'm going to agree with you in this one on, on Michael Johnson. And, and it's actually because of one of the things you said in there. And that's Michael Johnson, you're right, does seem to put a pretty good fight together until he doesn't. Um, we, we saw, like you said, Josh Emmett, Tiago Moises is another example of that. He actually won that round off of Tiago Moises before Moises comes out in the second round and just straight ankle locks him in almost no time. He puts together a really great performance and then sort of falls apart towards the end. The beauty of this is Alan Patrick has an awful gas tank, like a <laughs> god-awful gas tank, right? So, like, if he does that and he gets himself out to a lead, even if he starts to falter or make some mistakes late, I don't know that Patrick is still going to be there to be able to capitalize on them. Uh, I, I think... You know, Michael Johnson could totally work this guy out of a fight in two rounds. And even if the third round looks like the worst round we've ever seen out of Michael Johnson, he could survive and win 29-28 on the judges' scorecards. So uh, that's exactly what I'm going to predict here. I'm going to say Michael Johnson wins on the judges' scorecards, even though he drops the third round. Uh, I'll take Johnson by decision. How about you? I'll go the same thing. I'd love to see him. You know, I'm one of those guys I'm never willing to admit when a guy's done. So I just I feel like prime Michael Johnson could come back. But, yeah, I feel like I'm going to go decision on this one. All right, and that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, as I promised at the head of the show, I was going to tell you a few more of the great features from the Maroon Social app. Once again, that's M-A-R-U-N-E. One of my favorite features of it is the ability to log your competitions. There's so many times where I wish back when I started training jujitsu. I had Maroon Social, which would allow me to have this full list of competitions that I've had over the years. I don't have that because Maroon Social wasn't around back when I started training Jiu-Jitsu. It's been a little while. But I've had it for the last five years, and now I've got a complete record of all my competitions over the last five years, what submissions I hit, what I did well in fights, what I wish I could do better, what I needed to go back to the gym to work on, where I placed, where the tournament was, pictures, 
all in one neat, nice, neat little spot. It's like having your own tapology page for yourself. I highly suggest going and getting it, no matter whether you compete in jiu-jitsu or any martial art, Maroon Social, wherever you download apps. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Virna Jandaroba versus Angela Hill. So Jandaroba alternated wins and losses for her last four fights. She's, of course, coming off of a decision loss to Amanda Hebas, that fight back in October. Angela Hill, meanwhile, has lost two in a row. She lost to Tisha Torres and Amanda Lemos, both of them by decision, the latter of which was back in December. So my question for you, Jandaroba, a very sharp grappler, particularly when she's on the top. But my question is, is Angela Hill going to let Virna Jandaroba be on top, or does this one entirely take place on the feet? The, the question really is, who's the stronger woman in this fight? I mean, the big thing we've seen with Angela Hill is, of course, lose a split decision to someone stronger than you, go on Twitter, rally the troops, and then, oh, you didn't actually lose that fight. But for me, the question is, how strong is Jandaroba? In both of these women, it appears like the big thing is, they're just under that step up, right? Every time they've had that fight, a Mackenzie Dern, a Hebos can't quite get it done. Angela Hill, same thing. Lemos, Gadelia. For me, I feel like Jandy Roba's physicality is the big one. And Angela Hill, the, the big problem with her game is as good as she is, she's missing that big strength component. A lot of her former opponents have all said, like, she doesn't feel strong. And I feel like I can really handle her the way I want to. And uh, she doesn't have that big power. So you're sort of, you're not really intimidated by what she's doing on the feet. So I feel like for this one, for me, it favors Jandy Roba. I just feel like she's going to be the stronger woman out there. And it's it's going to be a weird fight, of course, since it involves Angela Hill and the judges. And it's going to get real strange. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you entirely on that. And I'm also going to take Jandy Roba. I will say this, too. In addition to, like you said, the strength thing being clearly at the forefront of this fight, I also think Jandy Roba is a little bit trickier when it comes to takedowns and has, like, more tools to get the fight where she wants it to, right? Like, Angela Hill... You know, she doesn't, first of all, she doesn't shoot a ton of takedowns, but when she does, it looks very simple. Uh, she gets you up against the cage. She tries to work there for a second. She tries to pull the double. Jada Robo's got trips. She's got hip tosses. She's got the, the standard double legs. And she's taken down some damn good women to get the fight to the mat, too. So uh, even though, you know, like you said, sometimes she's losing those step-up fights to people like Amanda Hivas, it doesn't mean she's not having success on the mat, either. So... You know, I, I really like Jada Roba in this fight. I think she takes it to Angela Hill. Um, you know, kind of a word of caution to those betting on it. Angela Hill's fight's terrible to judge all the time. And I'm, again, calling this one goes to decision. How about you? Yeah, man, it's Angela Hill. Decision, but <laughs> let me throw some weirdness out there. I feel like this could, Jandy Roba could potentially get a submission, but that that's definitely not a safe pick at all. Yeah, I, I actually am with you on that one. If this one does end, if this one is a stoppage, it's Jandaroba rear naked choke. Yep. Uh, put it put it in the books. And that brings us to our second fight in this round, which is Tatsuya Tara versus Carlos Candelario. So Tara, 10-0, making his debut. He last won in Valley Tudo, Japan back in November. Candelario, meanwhile, 8-1, making his debut off of the Contender Series, where he lost a split decision to Victor Altamirano back in August. Very weird. The only guy ever to get a contract on the Contender Series coming off a loss. Of course, he has a win on the Contender Series three seasons ago. Didn't get the contract then. Gets it with the loss. Obviously a very weird dynamic, but my question for you here is that in pretty much everything I've seen from Tetsuya Tara, he's a guy with quick hands who hits people, knocks them down, and the minute they're on the ground, he jumps on their back. Is Tits or is uh, Candelario a guy who could succumb to that kind of offense from Tara? 
it's possible, but we just, we haven't seen it. This feels like the kind of booking where you know who the UFC wants to win. It's very simple. It seems like they'd be leaning towards Terra, but yeah, man, this is this is a tough one to kind of figure out because Candelario's in weird fights as well. It seems that's the the thing with the prelims. I, I don't know, man. This one feel I'm I'm going for Terra. It just for me, he feels like the man who's got a little bit more tools. Obviously, as a flyweight, you're always gonna have speed, but it just it feels like with his finishing instincts on top of it, I feel like I just have to lean him in this fight. Yeah, I agree with you here. I, I think he's got better finishing instincts. We've obviously seen a whole bunch of his finishes out of, you know, whether he's fighting for Valley Tudo Japan or he was fighting for Shudo for a while. And, like, we've seen him be a really good finisher. The difference for me here is just, like, I actually think that's going to cause him trouble in this fight because Candelario is notoriously hard to put away. He's got a really hard head. He, he's got great energy, even after he's been beat up a little bit. And the thing about Tara is... He hasn't been out of the first round in two years. Uh, and before that, one decision, and then another year and a half before he had been out of the first round before that. So, like, he's a guy who hasn't really been tested late in fights. So, I'm going to differ ever so slightly with you here. I'm going to take Candelario. I think the fact that he is so tough and so durable is going to just play right into the the worst possible scenario for Tara, which is that maybe he can't do this for 15 minutes and he's used to being able to just jump on somebody and finish him. So I'll take Candelario. I'll say he gets the late finish when Tara tires out. Um, how do you see Tara getting it done? I feel like, you know, like you just mentioned, it doesn't feel like a decision makes sense in this one, but Tara, I'm going to stick with what's working for him so far, getting that knockdown, finding the submission. So I'm going to go Tara by submission, even though it's a very dangerous pick. All right, and that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, just wanted to tell you about one last feature about Maroon Social, and it's the ability to keep tabs on your friends. It's the coolest thing because, look, if you've been training jiu-jitsu as long as I have, or any martial art for that matter, you've had some friends move away from the gym that you train at. I actually train in a college town. The amount of training partners I've lost over the years is exorbitant. But so many of those people who I turned on to Maroon Social log their training sessions and competitions all right there in the app. And because I'm friends with them, I get to see how they're doing. I get to see whether or not they've advanced belt levels and things like that. It's such a cool feature. It's a thing that you don't get in all of those social medias that aren't designed for martial arts. So I suggest if you are into martial arts, go download the Maroon Social app right now. we are back with round number three i'm gonna put another five minutes on the clock and we're gonna talk start this round and actually end this round by talking about nick maximoff versus andre petrovsky the very first prelim of the night maximoff 2-0 in the ufc he beat cody brundage by decision and then a split decision over punahele soriano that fight was back in february petrovsky meanwhile 2-0 in the ufc he grounded pounded out michael gilmore and then he also beat Yao Zong Hu by submission. That fight was back in October, so a little bit longer off for Petrovsky. So my my question for you is, this sort of seems like, in, in a co-host on another podcast I do, said, this fight kind of seems like the, the Spider-Man meme, where it's the two <laughs> Spider-Mans pointing at each other. Like, great wrestlers, want to put you in a head and arm choke at all times, decent ground and pound maybe not the most special striking you've ever seen in your whole lives. These guys have so much in common. How do we differentiate them? How do we pick out the one that we think has got the edge here? 
it's weird because Nick Maximov, he's one of those guys. There's a few grapplers out there who make it clear, like, look, man, my game plan is no hands, no feet, all ground. And we saw that in, in his short stint with the UFC. He does not care for the hands. He, he kind of has that Damian Maya before Damian Maya thought he was a boxer kind of game plan. <laughs> I, man, I feel like what I like about this fight for Petrovsky is that he has really good finishing instincts, like whether it's through ground and pound, whether it's finding the submission. I feel like in a fight like this, between two grapplers, you you tend to favor the guy that looks for the finish and has those finishing instincts. For me, I would lean towards Petrovsky, but with with two grapplers, I mean, we're either going to get the ugliest striking match we've ever seen or a really good grappling match that we can appreciate, and it's just going to be down to who can get the best of the other one. I'm going to lean Petrovsky in this fight just because I feel like he has more finishing instincts. I agree with you entirely. Uh, I think Petrovsky here is is a smart play because if this does get stuck on the feet, I think Petrovsky's the better striker ultimately. Like, and, and you're right, there it would be a huge upsetting factor for me if this fight winds up on the feet for the entire time because like I w- I want to see him grapple right. right like we all want to see him grapple. But at the same time, if it does stay on the feet, it favors Petrovsky. I can't imagine Maximov subbing him, but I can imagine Petrovsky ground and pounding him out. I also think Petrovsky's got good enough takedown defense that he's not going to wind up on his back all the time. I'm going to throw something at you, though, which is it blew my mind when I was looking at it, uh, getting ready for this podcast and a couple other ones that I do. Did you know Andre Petrovsky is a plus 310 underdog in this fight? Like, how how do you justify that? Oh, I know exactly where it comes from. It's easy. Maximov beat a big-name guy in his last fight, and that's what people are leaning towards. I mean... People that are deep in this game, they they kind of they see all that stuff. But people on the outside and people that are betting on it, it's like, look, you just beat a big name. Weird, very weird decision. Not sure if I agree with it, but for me, it's down to the resume. I feel like that's where those odds are coming from. Otherwise, matchup wise, it does not make any sense for a fight to be that far off. Yeah, and even if you like Nick Maximoff in this fight, I will tell you know listeners out there, you like Nick Maximoff in this fight. I'm not telling you you're an idiot, <laughs> but I am telling you you're an idiot if you bet on him at negative 400. Oh, for because sure. They're, they're, there's no way there's any value on, on him at that. And you're right. He he does have that win over Soriano. I think that probably does play into why these odds are just so crazy and just so wide. But at the same time, like, it was a split decision win. You know, I know some people, you know, thought that Soriano won the early rounds. Um, You know, I'm not quite – I would have to go back and watch it to have my full take on it because right, I don't remember right. it yeah. entirely. But, like, it, I remember it being really close and there being a question on whether or not Soriano won it. So – with that being said, like, I think that that's a crazy way for his odds to be high. I'll also throw out this that I think might be skewing the odds a little bit here is I think the Nate Diaz right. factor is in there, right? For like, sure. he's a Diaz guy. Yeah. If you ever if you ever look at Diaz odds going into a fight, you're like, yo, Diaz is going to get squashed here. Like, why are his <laughs> odds so good? So good. You know what I mean? Like, why do you have him at, like, plus 120 fighting Masvidal or, you know... I've seen early odds for him against Kamza, and he's not a negative seven or plus seven thousand underdog, which is <laughs> yeah. precisely what he should be yep. in that fight. So, uh, yeah, like I, I think that probably plays into it too. Maximov has the Diaz rub, and and people like that. But uh, at the end of the day, for an official prediction, I'm gonna take Petrovsky. I'm gonna say he gets it done by TKO. I don't know if he's gonna tag him on the feet and finish with ground and pound. Or if he's just going to be a little bit better on the mat and wind up with the ground and pound there. But I'm going to take him by TKO. How about you? I'm going to take him TKO as well. I don't think he finds submission because to give Maximoff credit, like he is a damn good grappler. So I don't feel like a submission, although things get weird between grapplers. But yeah, I feel like TKO is 
is a good pick in this fight. All right, and that does it for our five fights. We give you five fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. We hope you guys learned something and hopefully have a little bit easier time making your picks this weekend and maybe just enjoy these fights a little bit more. I once again want to thank my co-host. You can find all of his work at Clutch Points, he, where he is the combat sports editor. Lucas, thank you so much for joining me, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And it's nice to see some name brand fighters on the prelims and an episode where I'm featuring. <laughs> thank you for having me, man. 